Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the 32nd edition of Cinema Effect. I'm Zach, and I'm joined by PTA's number one fanboy, Liam. Hey. And my fellow Hans Zimmer appreciator, Jaden. Hey. Hi. Hey to both of you. Hey yeah, to both of you. I felt like, a, you know, replicating a Liam's today. Yeah, you nailed it. Mm. You nailed it. Same tone, same everything, same word. Mm. Crazy. Yeah. Just a master observer, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's why we have you on a film podcast, Jan. You nail it. Yeah. Well, for those who don't know, this is Cinema Effect, the podcast where we review and talk about a different movie every single Monday. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music. Search us up, subscribe, follow, do all that. Follow the Instagram page, like the YouTube video as well. That helps us out. We appreciate all of that. Go, go everywhere. I don't care if you just listen on Spotify, go to YouTube. If you just listen on YouTube, go to all the other apps. We like that a lot. Uh, Submit your questions, thoughts, reviews in the YouTube comments section for next week's film or for any film we do. But our question of the show this week is going to be, who is your favourite female director? We thought that tied in well into this week's film. So leave your answers in the comments below. This week we're reviewing Portrait of a Lady on Fire which opened in France on the 18th of September, 2019. It was directed by Celine Sciamma, crushed it, genre of a drama romance, and the synopsis reads, on an isolated island in Brittany, in in Brittany? Where where is Brittany? Brittany? Isn't it just Brittany? Brittany. Brittany, Where's that? Oh, okay. I assume it's near France, right? guess so. West of France. I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay, okay. At the end of the 18th century, a female painter is obliged to paint a wedding portrait of a young woman. Terrific, terrific. I was thinking, um, you know, when I saw the, the female director for this one, and it kind of shocked me. I don't have we we haven't have we ever done a film with a female director before? I don't think so. The Matrix. Oh yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was funny after this many episodes. It's how long it took, but never mind. I take it back. How do we feel about Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Jaden, do you want to start us? Not really. Oh, okay. How about you, Fitzy? Uh, Sure. I thought it was really great. Um, I thought the first half was kind of slow, but as as it went on, it got... Uh, better as they got closer, and uh, I thought the last like ten minutes was just really, uh, really elevated. It. it was really amazing. Cool. I thought the movie was excellent. I liked it a lot. Uh, yeah. The like the only major con I have, and it's just kind of, it's not even major, honestly. I just want to kind of get it out of the way at the start because it's not even worth bringing up again. Really, it's just that you know, for what this film is inherently as just a period piece, as a character drama. You know, the pacing isn't always, for me, just 100% what I want out of a movie. You know, it does have its style moments that have me checking out for little bits and pieces, As a, of course, because I'm so casual as it is. So, you know, get that out of the way at the start. I never want to mention that again. But that was a reality of me watching it. Other than that, the story they were telling, the characters, the direction, everything completely stood out to me. And I thought the movie was bloody terrific. So yeah, now we now we have to come back to you, Jaden. Um, yeah, no, pretty similar feelings. Uh, except for 
everywhere I've looked, the last 20, 15, 10 minutes, whatever, I've been praised. But, like, to me, they're kind of, like, the weakest part of the movie. I, I love everything prior to that. I love just, ah. you know, you know, the, just watching their relationship develop and, you know, everything there. And then, you know, post that, I, I, I kind of just, I don't know, was withdrawn for some reason. But, uh, yeah. Really? Really? So, what, you just... Was it that you weren't invested in them, or do you just no in the, in those last minutes? Well, I mean, like th- that's what that's what's weird because like I was invested in them like throughout the entirety of the rest of the movie, but like just I don't know. I I I, I don't the way that it the way that it ended just I I think because it was a bit different to how the rest of the film was structured or paced or whatever. How it was really it was, it was really just like you know a slow development or whatever, and then to kind of just pump out these. You know these these last two meetings, or you know these last two sightings at the end. It 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 just felt a bit weird to me, you know. Yeah, I guess I I think it is. It's definitely the most standout part of the movie, at least I think, in terms of feeling the most different from the rest of the movie. But that totally worked for me. It felt like everything was kind of culminating in those last ten minutes. Um. So, the, but no, I I mean, if you were vibing with the rest of the movie, I can see how it is definitely different it kind of just leaves you on a on an interesting note i think the last shot as well i mean it's just two twenty two minutes of two and a half minutes of you know just slowly you know just like watching um what's her name hell louise i think yeah just watching her reaction to the to, i mean like it, like it's kind of cool but like i mean like nah not really for me it wasn't wasn't vibing with that final bit right interesting i i love the final shot as it was happening it was it was a complete roller coaster of emotions at that point. I was so invested in the story, and because it had already been established by Marianne in the in the narration that you know this is the last time she saw her, and as it was happening, and it was just zooming in, and it would not stop. And I was I, I kept thinking that some shit was going to go down, and I just like I was on the edge of my seat the entire time throughout the entire two minutes and thirty seconds. It actually. When when I read that it was it was exactly two minutes and twenty seven seconds long, when I read that I was surprised because it went really fast for me. I thought it was oh. I, if, I thought it would have been forty seconds. It went crazy quick because I was just I was so invested at that point. Um, as it was zooming in, I kept thinking like, which is she was going to have a stroke or something? Or if, I actually the the thought entered my mind if she was going to jump off the uh, the balcony, you know, like like her sister did. But we kind of just get nothing but a performance, which still kind of left me very impressed. How did how did you feel about that last bit, Fitzy? The last sequence. Um. Yeah, I loved that bit and the the uh the gallery part. You know, where she finds a painting and it's on the page twenty eight. I thought it yeah, was really good. It was. It, it really became like uh, emotional at the end. I thought it was just a great climax. Definitely, yeah. All of that was, all of that was wild. I, it really started, I think, when the, because uh, you know, I, I was digging the relationship a lot. I was digging a lot about the movie, but for me, it was, I think, when the, uh, when the mother returned, and everything after that, because you you knew that at this point, this relationship is over, because they've been, you know, basically telling us that, telegraphing that the entire time that it's never going to last after this. And everything with that, with them leaving the island and then, yeah, the gallery into the opera scene was 
it was wild for me. It totally, I, th- I think everything that the director was trying to convey to me there in terms of having me on a bit of an emotional roller coaster, especially in that long shot, conveying, I think, all of the emotions that she wanted to throughout the entire movie, doing it just within that one shot. It totally, totally worked for me. I loved it. Did anyone else think she was going to die or some shit in that shot, though? No. No. Oh, okay. But I, I oh, did, I did think in the movie like that. Yeah, she was either going to die or, you know, they were just going to be, uh, separate or whatever. But um, yeah. Because, like, we know that they're not together, so she's either dead or they just weren't able to come together. Well, isn't it that she suffers the poet's death, like like in the uh, like in the book that they're reading? And, you know, is, isn't isn't that what's meant to... What it's what meant to be is meant to be, like, kind of like a retelling of that story that they were reading? Yeah, I, I think so. Wait, are you, do you mean Marianne has the poet's death? No, Adele... Uh, what's in it? Eloise has the poet's death. <laughs> Because Mar- I guess so. Marianne turns around at the last second and, um, and looks at her and she fades away. And then, you know, in, in the next two times she sees her, you know, it's not like a, it's, it's not, it's not, you know, what she actually is, is what she was kind of thing. Isn't it? Mm, mm. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think you're right about that. As they were uh, going through that, that story and reading it, I, uh, oh, oh, damn, I've forgotten the finer points of it now, but as it was happening, that there was definitely thematic uh, significance to all of that. So, yeah, that that makes perfect sense. That would be that. Sticking with the final shot, just for a second. Do you think, um, everything that we see with her being shaking, visibly upset, and then smiling and all that, what what is that about? Is, is that something, again, to do with the poet's death that I'm forgetting about the movie, or... That because that was that was kind of bizarre. Didn't was she seeing the uh, the opera at the end? Yeah, the one that Marianne told her that she was showing her at the start on like the shitty piano thing, and she said you 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 you'll see the full thing in Milan. So I thought like like and now that she was finally seeing the full thing, I thought that was just kind of her just releasing all these pent up emotions of the years, you know. Okay, okay. So I guess in that way, then she would be. Right, so, I, okay, yeah, I didn't connect that that was the same opera, but of course, of course. So, I guess in that way it is her, totally, yeah, reminiscing on and, and, and remembering, as they keep saying in the movie, you know, don't regret, remember. Um, remembering all, yeah, all those emotions that she had with the days that she spent with Marianne, all their coming out on the spot. Okay, yeah, that's great. There you go. Me just saying that out loud, just, yeah, you guys helping me with that. That just gives the movie, I think, such a great, well-rounded journey for these characters thematically. I just thought, yeah, all that worked for me while I was watching it and then connecting the dots like I just did. Oh, yeah, no, I thought the movie, dude, it was great. I love that. Yeah, it kind of feels like there's no loose ends, like everything's like set up and payoff kind of tied up in that way. Like the opera Absolutely. and the... The, the page number and the stories tell and all just kind of comes together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, another example of that, I think, is the uh, when Marianne like keeps seeing the 
the ghostly figure in the corridor, you know, mm. in the in the house. And when that happened the first time, it like I was like, what? I felt like I was in Get Out for a second or something. It was like super strange, but it, yeah, that something that was introduced like halfway through the movie completely took me off guard, and then by the end, came around into being making perfect sense, feeling super earned in how it's used. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, when she sees it, the, the the figure for the first time, which is of course meant to be like her remembering Heloise the last time she saw her in that in that state in that dress. But when she's like the first time we see the the figure, it's not actually her though, is it? Like her face is like it's like a different person. Her face is off a bit. Uh, I thought it was her. I don't know. In, okay. In the okay. Dress. Yeah. Um she does look a bit blurred though, kind of like ghostly figure, but I still think it was her. Right, yeah well well, I mean, it, like, it's definitely meant to be her. I was, okay, I was personally, like, looking for, looking at her face. The first times they came up, I couldn't actually see that it was her. Like, I was, I'm pretty sure that's not her. But, yeah, whether it was blurring or whether it was a different person, I don't know. It definitely did come across as not right, you know what I mean? And I think that was very deliberate. I think it kind of immediately links back to the whole thing of forgetting what you look like in terms of if the narrative is framed as Marianne, this entire, us going through her relationship with Heloise the entire week or so it lasts, because the movie starts with her in the future in the in the art class. If that's how it's framed and then we get the moments where she's looking down the corridor, that is essentially, you know, her in the present trying to remember her face, if that makes sense. That's what I took away from that. I thought that was super clever just because... Uh, I don't know why else the face wouldn't be super clear to me because I, there was definitely something going on there, I think. I don't think it was just the actress standing there. I'd have to rewatch it. Yeah. No, there's definitely some kind of ghost-like blurry effect or something. But the reason that stood out to me is because when you get the payoff of her right at the end, Marianne, you know, she's storming out the house and she looks back and sees Heloise in that exact pose, in that exact outfit. And it's like clearly her that time, obviously, standing there. Like that thought, you know, obviously your brain immediately triggers, okay, that's the ghostly figure, got it, because it's like, you know, obviously so clearly presented as such. But the fact that I, and whether or not I think these things work in movies, these kind of trying to convey these sort of more abstract thematic concepts to the audience, a lot of the time it comes down to, I think, how capable the director is and also just, ha- like, if the audience is paying attention or IE isn't stupid. And a lot of the time, you know, we miss things in movies, especially me, I miss things in movies because I'm bloody, you know, off with it. Um, and then, But then, of course, a lot of the time it's, you know, the director isn't very capable. And I think, for me, this was a perfect storm of, except apparently the, not the last shot with the opera, but everything else in the movie was a perfect storm of I was fully vibing with it, fully getting it, and the movie so well directed that these ideas were being conveyed to me on the spot and I was picking them up. And when that happens, when a movie clicks like that with you, especially a movie like this, uh, yeah, there's nothing better than it. I really liked it a lot. It was awesome. Yeah, Finny, I'm looking at a bunch of screenshots and it's her in every single one. In like, like clearly? Yeah. Like clearly? Yeah. 
I'm really disappointed that you ruined my entire thematic idea there. Yeah, Did you think about when you watched it? Then. <laughs> <laughs> just pretend. Just pretend I never just pretend it. I- just pretend I nailed it on that entire rant. But Jane, did you think it was her? Like clearly, when you're watching it, though. Yeah, I, I thought it was. Uh, yeah. Oh, I swear to God, yeah, I was with Fitzy. I swear to God, like I was staring at the face, and there was something off about it because I was deliberately trying to think no, like I, that must be Halloween's. Yeah, but I, there, there, there was something off about it. But I think it was more just to do with the way the way that it was lit, probably just because like because it was it was so I don't know like like yeah no yeah yeah it was lit specifically yeah I just think because of it. Because it was different to everything else we'd seen, that's why it jutted out so much, and it may appear to, it may have appeared off. But like, yeah, no, to me, it was her face, and it was all clear. I mean, it's weird because like, there's no, there's no light in the room, so it's just like her, you know, standing there, and the dress kind of looks wavy, transparent you know? a little bit. Yeah, transparent, I guess. Yeah, Wavy, yeah, you're right, yeah. All those were striking, for sure, but I genuinely was staring at the face, and I thought the face was off. So it seems I'm absolutely wrong on that very specific thing, though. Perhaps it was just because it was, um, I think it had the makeup for, like, the wedding thing on, and maybe it was just that, was it? Mm. Because throughout mm. the rest of the film, she's kind of in, a, like, a more natural, yeah, not-so-heavy makeup, but then I think for that, they kind of cake her up a bit. So was it maybe just that and you couldn't tell because of it? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, oh, well. In um, Phantom Thread, they do the, like, the mom ghost thing. You, you, That's right. In the in the room. But, uh, and that kind of serves, like, a, I guess, a, uh, its own, like, metaphorical or you know, a narrative purpose in that in that film, but I think here it, it it does that, but it's also just kind of it's literal because like the last time she uh sees her in the in the castle, so it kind of works on both levels, you know. Huh, yeah, that's really true. Absolutely. Because like in Phantom Thread, you don't see the mother literally, but here it's kind of like the last literal image of her. So I like how it works on those. Like it's both literal and. You know, so it serves its own purpose in the narrative. I mean, the relationship between Heloise and Marianne is really the core of the movie, so best best get into that, I guess. Uh, I thought I thought this was terrific. I thought the two... I don't believe I've ever seen these two particular actresses in anything else, not that I've watched a lot of French shit, so... But no, I thought they were phenomenal. I thought the characters were really good. They were really simple really nothing too complex going on there but everything felt really authentic the way in which their relationship progressed felt supernatural to the circumstances they were in you know given Heloise has kind of been confined isolated in this way for some time awaiting this marriage and how that makes her feel and then Marianne kind of coming in as I don't know what would you say like the more experienced person the person who's had much more life experience but kind of drawing the similarities between the two and how that all sparks up. Yeah. I really I really dug all that about the movie. And the dialogue. Yeah. The cinematography is pretty amazing as well. Like uh how they always get the uh the, the green and the red dress. Oh yeah. the Christmas colours and how they just contrast with the uh with each other with like the ocean, those kind of shots. 
really cool. Uh, and it's kind of like they kind of look like paintings from that kind of era in a way. So yeah, kind of like rich colors and all that. Absolutely, dude. the The shot in particular for me of uh, Heloise in the green dress, you know, and she's like on the beach. I'm sure you know the exact one I'm talking about with all the waves yeah, and shit yeah. in the background. And dude, that is that is just imprinted in my brain forever. <laughs> It was just the, the the colors and the contrast of that was phenomenal. Yeah. But along those lines, this film was shot in 8K. Celine Sciamma wanted to capture a large dynamic range of colors and the film, oh, excuse me, and for the film to feel contemporary, whereas 35mm felt too timeless. I'm pretty sure 8K is a bitch to edit with because of how massive the file sizes are. I can imagine, yeah. Like I'm pretty sure, like for it's it's utter ass, like on the timeline. But I guess it kind of works out in the end. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I suppose so. I know <laughs> on on my shitty laptop, four K is a pain in the ass. So <laughs> yeah, eight K, God, God Almighty. But I I didn't realize that uh, eight K has that effect in terms of I don't understand a lot about in terms of resolutions and how it affects uh the image. Not just the quality of the image, obviously, 8K is better than 4K. We understand that. But in terms of like how it affects colors and dynamics and things like that, I didn't understand at all that 8K could have that effect on the range of colors and things like that in the film. But you see it, I think, even as we're watching it streaming probably at what, like 720p or whatever. Yeah. And it did feel contemporary, actually. I think she nailed that effect. I don't know if I could put my finger on what it was, but... You know, it was the uh, the aspect ratio and yeah, all the colors didn't. It didn't really feel as much like a like a period piece visually, anyway. Yeah, this is just how people live in France today. That's it. that's where they are still in, in uh, Brittany, yeah. of course. Going back to the relationship which you brought up, um, the the only thing I kind of could compare this with, like in terms of films I've seen is um the handmaiden and like like the way that their relationship develops in that so going into this i had the handmaiden back on mind and just i was uh, like i didn't really want to compare it too much but it was it just kind of automatically happened and comparing those two i was much i was far more invested in uh marianne and heloise's relationship than i was with what was presented in uh, the handmaiden and i just think it's it was really interesting because it's like you said, it was simpler. It was they're very simple characters as opposed to um, the handmaiden, where it's a really complex story and there's really a lot going on. So you know, like on paper, it, it feels like you're meant to attach yourself more to you know those characters, but because you know you have to become a lot more invested to understand them. But it was, it was really something about how you know how simplistic they were that you know just kind of draws you in and, and raptures you, you know? Well, I think you spend more time with them uh, in this uh, as opposed to The Handmaiden as well. Because The Handmaiden gets wrapped up and it's the twist of the plot and, you know, the different characters and all that, the different yeah. story details. I've never heard of The Handmaiden, but in terms of everything you said about how the characters in this movie, yeah, I'm totally with you. Well, what are the similarities with this movie and that movie? Like it's why, a what, what period piece with lesbians in it, pretty much is a uh, well, okay, I, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the Handmaiden's Korean, though, so I mean, yeah, but like, um, oh, okay, it's, it's a lot more complex, like story wise, and but yeah, 
Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I guess it also has that kind of um, contemporary feel that we were talking about. Yeah. That, uh, this film has. Why is it called? What's up with the lady on fire significance in the movie? Hey. She catches fire. She does catch fire, but she didn't react to catching on fire for a, for a while. I was surprised by that. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> that was my thought. I thought I was missing something. I was like, she's just like, doesn't seem concerned at all with that. She just caught fire. Probably just like the dress is thick and heavy and she didn't realize it first. I guess. But even when she realized, she didn't seem that concerned. I mean, she faints, doesn't she? She falls to the ground or whatever. Oh, yeah, she does too. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Oops. Cool scene, though. Yeah. I think the on fire thing is just, uh, you know, about her um, repression and all that. Like, not wanting to. Go into the marriage. Oh, okay. Or I guess. How so do you think? I don't know. The way she doesn't want to do it, I guess. Just, uh. She's angry. I mean, yeah, that and also, I guess, the passion for Marianne. Mm-hmm. Both of those things, I guess. We had this other other Sophie side character who's the, uh, the, I don't know, the servant or whatever. What's the correct term? Maid? Yeah. It's- she 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 was there. Yeah, the handmaid. Um, I uh, I liked her. I liked how you know they all they all felt kind of equally important. Not not so much in the story. Obviously, the story is very much between those the, the core two. But I felt like Sophie got a fair bit to do in the movie. She was she felt significant enough in the plot, and her whole kind of uh, her pregnancy thing felt significant. And it, it added some weight, I think, to the relationship of the other two as well until that finally fully became a thing. Then Sophie kind of lost a bit of focus, I think. But I like their dynamic is all I'm saying. A standout scene to me with her, though, was um, as she was ha- having her uh, abortion procedure, I suppose, for lack of a... Yeah. Uh Dude, that scene was that scene was something visceral. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah, it affected me a little bit. But especially having the obviously, you know, very intentional children rolling around her right next to her as that's happening. I was like, oh Jesus, this is this is very cool. Everything about that scene felt super. Not that anything in the movie isn't very deliberate. But everything about that felt super deliberate and felt super pro-life to me, which I'm not 100% sure was the intention, but I don't know what the hell else the intention would have been because it had that effect on me 100%. It was. I, I definitely do not think that was the intention. Why is that? Pro-choice is definitely the more feminist ideal. And considering you know everything else about the, the film and how much of a feminist tale it is, it, I don't think it would just all of a sudden switch to that for that purpose. Well, I don't, I mean, I don't, disagree with you broadly speaking like obviously to feminist tale obviously feminism is more pro-choice but i'm specifically in that scene i think more specifically if we're looking at that and i think also honestly potentially other scenes in the movie i think it looks pro-life like do you how do you think that scene is specifically not pro-life i don't know um what exactly happened in the scene was just the pregnancy the birth or yeah, they they terminate the but they they terminate the baby, but then like you know, Zach's saying he gets pro life choice because you know you have the other two kids right there rolling around. Oh yeah, but I, not, and not just rolling around, yeah. But yeah. like 
Yeah, um, I, I, I don't really know what to say, but I, 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 I disagree with that. I mean, yeah, I don't think it's that's the intent. Oh wow, I'm surprised by this. I thought it was, I thought it was really egregious, honestly. Inter- the way she interacted with the baby afterwards, and like literally straight after what she just experienced, the baby grabbing onto her face and stuff, and then the moment she shared with the baby, the baby was the most friggin' innocent, adorable thing I've ever seen in my life. And I immediately, dude, I'm not trying to suggest that this is at all what was happening. She was trying to, you know, convey, but that's what I took from it. I thought it was super obviously like, wow, this is kind of, this is what you just gave up or this is, look at how pure this is, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I just didn't, I didn't think of that uh, specifically, but um... I, th- I, th- I think if if it was to be pro-life, I think we would have had to have seen Sophie reeling from the effects of it more. Wait, there's a character's name was Sophie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> because like, because like, you know, when 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 we when, when we first learn about it, she's no, she's so nonchalant about it. She's like, yeah, oh, I'm just gonna wait till you know uh, the uh, the the mom leaves, and then I'm gonna deal with it. And then afterwards, like we see her in a bit of pain, but it's never really too big of a grievance on it you know it, it, it never seems like she regrets it beyond you know that scene but i don't even think you know, that scene is regret i just think it's her almost i don't know just coping with the pain and trying to i don't know you know i i i, I do not see it in any way as yeah sure i mean i don't think she i don't think she regrets either necessarily i don't think the the, the movie clearly has a problem with regret obviously yeah but I, um, I feel like if it was to try and pump a pro-life message they would have had to have shown some more you know aftermath you know like a, a more of a devastating aftermath for it or something you know they should they, they yeah. I, I feel like they would have had to carry it on to achieve to, to, to achieve that effect because they just leave it in that scene yeah, I don't know. Everything in the movie is pretty subtle. There's an, it, there's nothing in the movie that feels what you're describing. Like I wouldn't put past a lot of other films to do that. And I don't. Yeah, I think that's fair thinking. I just I don't think that's something if, if that this film, you know, that this director would try and do for any message they're trying to, uh, she's trying to convey. Really, I, I that sounds a bit on the nose. If you were to then demonstrate the character afterwards or, or at any point in the movie reeling from the experience in that way, I think. Well, uh, if it was that, if it was pro-life, how would that kind of relate to the story or time with it? They talk a lot about, and I think this this does relate back to the, the, the poet thing, I think, the poet story. I can't quite recall if it's brought up then or not. But the the entire idea of love in terms of it being fleeting versus deep and how much it means to the soul <laughs> as, uh, as grand as that sounds that sentence sounds because they do have Marianne Heloise have numerous conversations about uh, uh, yeah it is them right yeah yeah they ha- they talk about you know love is love isn't just something that lasts in a moment this this does link to the poet, right? I think. Any, sorry, my apologies. Yeah, it does. It comes up there the first time, I think. But uh, and I think that very much comes down to their entire relationship lasts one week. Well, I think yeah, it's like a week, five days, whatever it is, not long at all. And so much of that, once they clearly become a pair entwined, 
so much of the relationship is then having to try and, and deal with the fact that it's inevitably going to be over. And not only is it being over inevitable, it's very soon. And it's about them trying to, you know, come to terms with that, trying and, and to deal with that. And they talk about, you know, this the, what they have is much deeper and will stick with them a lot longer than just time itself being only five days together, having only known each other for the amount of time they have. And, well, I'm taking a long rant here, my apologies. And then obviously that, that kind of proves to be true in the epilogue with how sad uh, Marianne still is about the emotions that are still brought up with them as they, well, see, not see each other in later years in life. And I think all of that, in some way, at least in my opinion, can link to or does link to the notion of, of, of pro-life a little bit, just in terms of the deep connections that we form with each other and how they can be missed out on, I guess. You know, none of that made any uh, sense, did it? I guess if that interpretation makes sense to you, that's that's fine. I don't personally see it that way. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know. Uh, like at the same time, if it was pro-choice, that might make more sense to the story because you know the story is all about how uh, uh, what's her name? Um, oh, fuck, what's her name? Which one? The Which one? blonde, Heloise. Yeah, Heloise. You know she's trapped in this position because she doesn't she doesn't have the choice. She's you know forced into this kind of this marriage with this guy that she doesn't know, and that's kind of why she's. So, oh yeah, uh, sure. You know, so uh, broken, I guess, or so upset. So from that perspective, I think that, that's true. That makes more sense. But I do like how the film can be interpreted in these different ways, though. And uh, yeah, it's it's crazy that yeah, I really don't know what Celine was going for with all that. Maybe she was going for a bit of both. Maybe she was trying to kind of showcase some of both sides, or yeah. I've got no, I've got no idea. I just thought it was super interesting. The, uh, yeah, yeah. So, sorry about the whole pro life thing. It, it made sense to me, in terms of that that shot with the baby stuck with me, and that deep connection, regardless of how you know missing out. I think on on the chance to have her own child that was just taken from her right then, obviously by her own volition, but that she missed out on such a deep connection that you can make with a child in such. By, by it existing, I guess. It's kind of... I think I got there in the end. That's what I meant. But do, you, but do you guys think, regardless of that, though, that the scene with the child, that has to be conveying something, right? Because that just the entire way in which that was shot, presented, choreographed with the, with the baby was so deliberate, in my opinion, of, like, there is something to this, either which way. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think of anything of it at the time, but I guess... Uh... Like the fact that the baby was there, maybe, um, is an interesting idea, I guess. But uh, I, I, yeah, I can see why that stuck in your mind specifically, but I didn't think of it at, at the time. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unlikely that she's uh trying to advocate for a pro-life message, but uh, I can see where you're coming from. This entire film is just so, so capably directed. I found, I don't know if you guys experienced this, I found my eye being drawn to different parts of shots and scenes. Almost like, I felt like I was being influenced by the director 
magically as I was watching the movie in terms of what I was looking at on screen multiple times. Um, there's a handful of times when there's a full shot or something. I think it's it happens once early on when we get a, a shot of Heloise's face. And I was particularly looking at her eyes. I don't know, like, I was just drawn... Obviously, you know, as a viewer, we're drawn to for eye contact anyway. But I was particularly noticed, noticing her eyes in the in the scene, I think, with the way the colour was contrasted and stuff in the scene. And then immediately Marianne says, mentions her eyes. I was like, holy shit. That, that was wild. And that happened for me numerous times in the movie where I found myself looking exactly, I think, where the characters were noticing things and where I was also looking at things. It was kind of a surreal experience for me. And I think that speaks to just how damn good she is. Yeah, I like the, um, uh, you know, the shots of her looking directly into the camera. I think there's no shots for it. Uh, yeah, I think that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, really great. And when she first maybe that like, maybe that was it. Yeah, when she first like follows her for a walk, um, and the camera's like between them both, going back and forth. It's really good. That was really good. That was really good, and they start running. The movie refrains from any sex scenes whatsoever, and I thought that was cool. I thought it was particularly good. You know, not the fact that you know sex scenes or not, not that that makes a movie good or bad either way, obviously. But in terms of with the entire film and the entire story laid out in my head, having finished it, I realized how the moments that we get with them when they're naked lying together and the conversations they have there, how intimate those moments feel already. And I guess, you know, from a pure basic storytelling perspective, you know, the point of a sex scene, I guess, being included into your narrative would be to make the characters feel intimate. A lot of the time it doesn't work that way. But, uh, but it made me realize, wow, this the, the, how the screenplay gives me that effect, that feeling between the two of them, while also giving me a deep conversation and then, you know, doing all that unconventionally, I guess. Yeah, I'm surprised that there's no sex scenes. I felt like there was. But... Yeah, right, yeah. And I think that added something to to the authenticity of the movie a little bit. Blue, there's another French film about lesbians that I watched once called uh, Blue is the Warmest Colour. They have a lot of uh, sex scenes, but uh, and it does say, serve the same kind of purpose, kind of um, understanding their intimacy more or seeing it. Mm. But uh, some people do criticise the film for you know having too much and just not adding... Like having the sex scene not add much after a while, you know. Definitely, yeah. I mean, that's a trap that's easy to fall into. I think if you're including that kind of thing in your story. Have we talked about the the lack of music? Or uh, not yet, not yet. Because um, I because I thought it was pretty interesting. I I, I didn't realize it until about I don't know thirty minutes in because I, I felt like there just was you know, but um <laughs> and it, and it wasn't, yeah. wasn't until like. I think when she started showing um, Heloise, you know, the uh, the the on, on the piano, and like that's the first time we actually hear music. When I realized the lack of it in the in you know in the rest of it, and like it's really strange because like even now knowing that there was no score, I still feel like the film had a score, you know. And like I was reading that the, like the director commented about how, you know, she wanted by by removing the score, you find music in other places. 
in the you know when watching it and i think it's so true like you know just in the movements and in like the the background sound and just and i think it's really you know in my mind because i still have that feeling i think you know i think it's worked you know fantastically absolutely yeah she specifically mentioned here i had the trivia thanks for ruining it but uh you know how how the film is made up of a ton of sequence shots with precise choreography which it is and how you kind of find the rhythm in that as opposed to the music. And I think you're absolutely right. And the, the friggin when all the, uh, the group of them around the fire started singing or whatever started that chanting, well, it, it turned into a song, but it started as like a weird noise. The THX logo. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Oh dude. I've always, I always hated the THX logo. What? I still hate it now. What? I hate it now. I hated it as a child. It scared the living shit out of me, and it still gives me nightmares, dude. dude it's horrifying. I, I think you're the first person I've heard that says they don't like the sound of that. How, how can you like it, though? It's scary. It's scary. Nostalgia. nostalgia, yeah, nostalgia for my freaking worst fears. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like death is coming for you, dude. <laughs> so you reckon? It's powerful. It is powerful, exactly, yeah. Um, Whenever, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Oh, sorry. But talking about like the lack of music, I think it uh, elevates the uh, parts where there are music, especially the the ending. It's kind of like there's nothing as um, you know exciting as as uh, the the ending score, the ending sound, like Vivaldi, Four Seasons, or whatever it is. Um, yeah, and it's like a, it's a great way to uh, you know end the film on a climax. Hundred percent, hundred percent. That entire thing, narrative-wise, was already giving me a stroke, and then that music just coming in hard out of nowhere it definitely kickstarted it. Oh yeah, um, I we you you mentioned uh, the uh, the acting earlier briefly, but um, I was, mm-hmm. I was I was saying that I didn't get to come, but um, I think that um, the, the uh, what's the uh, Melant Melant uh, plays the plays a painter so well. I think like the way that. Especially, it's in her eyes. Like you, you were talking about, you know, just like shots of her eyes before. But like, they're so deliberate and like they're so intently looking and observing, you know. And I mean, like, I'm not sure how much work they actually did to do that, or maybe it is just her looking and it's me just seeing that. But like, I mean, like, it feels, you know, it really feels like she has an artist's eye where she is examining constantly. Yeah. It's not just you. I got that for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of that's in the performance. I think it's hard not to give credit to the, probably the, the direction there as well. Just knowing how well the, the entire movie's directed. Final verdicts for Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I'll give it a nine out of 10. I thought it was excellent for all of the reasons I've mentioned. How about you, Jaden? Um, yeah, I've landed on a nine as well. I think uh, going in, I was tossing up between eight and nine, and just kind of talking about it. You know, it swayed my opinion to the higher. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I think me. What we love rambling on this show is literally the entire point of it. But all our different interpretations of things, it all coming together, me not really. You know, it feels like the the film has a clear core of what the story is, but also things surrounding and that feel ambiguous. In that way, it feels like real impressive art and art that I really love. I will also give it a nine. 
Uh, all right, let's get into news chat. Uh, first of all, we got reports this week of good old Spider-Man returning, and that is Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, both of them maybe returning a Spider-Man in Spider-Man 3 to contribute to all this dimension bullshit that's happening in that movie, apparently. Dude, that'd be that'd be wild. I would be yeah. so down for it. I'd be so down for it. Now, these were reports. Sony has come out and in a very vague way, like I guess PR's attempt to debunk this, but they didn't actually debunk it because they said that these reports have not been confirmed, is what they said. So they just basically said nothing. Or if they made the effort to say anything at all and not deny it, you could actually kind of almost look at it as, as a confirmation. Mm. So, but as Andrew Garfield's number one fan, Jaden, how exciting is this for you? Are you psyched? I, I'm, I'm, I'm super keen to see him come back, but um, I'm kind of worried that they, they're going to try and make a you know a, a, into the Spider Verse, but IRL type one. Um, mm. I really hope that this doesn't become that, but um, you know, I'm I'm keen to see Andrew Garfield as Spider Man again. Definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, I'm keen to see both of them. I'm keen to see anyone at this point come in as as Spider Man. Whatever. Imagine if they did Who Framed Roger Rabbit and like Ma- Miles Morales from Into the Spider Verse is there animated? That'd be awful. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I'd be down for a Spider Verse style thing. Like you're talking about live action. I'd be down for it for for this movie. I wouldn't want to see it. Like, I don't want that to be a continued thing that happens for years to come. If it were just the movie, uh, the plot for this movie, I'd be okay with it. And then we close the door. That's fine. But Fitzy, of course, you're you're on the other end. You're Tobey Maguire's biggest fan. Feelings? Yeah. Uh, that'd be awesome. Uh, um, I wouldn't mind seeing Andrew Gofford as well. Uh, Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Tobey Maguire's where, where it's at. He can be the dad, yeah, the master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can be just as cringe as always. I wonder if they're gonna like try and like if this is true, and I wonder if they're gonna give them suits as accurate as they can to like what they were in their in their in their original films. I mean, surely they would have to, right? Yeah, that'd be weird if they all like dress up in the Tom Holland suit or something. No. Or like, yeah, like a different modernized suit. Yeah, it'd have yeah, to be. Like, yeah, like they rock up without a suit, and then like you know, Tony Stark makes a new one. Oh wait, he's dead. Oh shit. <laughs> Tony Stark's ghost makes a new one. Very cool. All right, now we got Furiosa details. This is the the prequel to Mad Max Fury Road. That's happening. Good old George Miller. George Miller directed the first Mad Max back in the day, right? So he's been with this franchise the whole time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's directed everyone. That's awesome. That's really cool. And uh, but this prequel, it has Anya Taylor Joy apparently. Is this is, is this confirmed? Yeah. Do we know? Cool. She's the lead. She's Furiosa. Yeah. Jaden's really happy. Not really. No. I mean, like, uh, like, like in in terms of casting, yeah, I'm pretty happy. But like, I'd I'd rather see a, a, a sequel to Fury Road rather than a prequel. Furiosa was never really a character that I was overly in, in, invested in. You know, I never really cared to see her backstory of how she lost her arm or whatever. But I mean, like, you know, if 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 that's what, you know, George is going to give us, then I'll, I'll, I'll cop it. But um, but does anyone care about any character in that movie? Yeah, Max. Do they? Of course. Doesn't he have, like, ten lines? Yeah, but that's what makes him awesome, you know? Well, Boba Fett's, like, yeah. true. That's true. That's true. Oh, hey, I'm not, I'm not on the Boba Fett defense wagon. Don't worry about that. 
But it's a good point, though. It's true. All right. Cool, cool, cool. And Oh, yeah, and Chris Hemsworth was rumoured for that. And so I forgot you said another name. Oh, um, Yaya Abdullah, I think, whatever. uh, What's his name? Uh, I I can't recall. I'd seen him before, but I don't know from what. Us and the greatest showman and watchman. Oh, watchman. Oh, ah, that guy. And Aquaman, apparently. I haven't seen that one, but apparently he's in that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it's all come back to me. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Very cool. Okay. No, he's good. We got Coming to America is coming to Amazon Prime. That's coming, you know, coming to America with the two in the middle. I don't actually know if that's what the title is, but if it's not, someone should be fired. Um, yeah, it's coming to Amazon Prime like Borat is. I, it was obviously meant to have a theatre release, I would presume, but they sold off those rights quick smart. Any interest in this one? Um, I did, yeah, yeah, I, I love the original. I'm, I'm keen to watch this one. Do you? You love the original? Yeah, the original's great. Yeah, yeah, I like, I like it too. I mean, I, I, would, I wouldn't say I love it, but yeah, like, like, I like, like, it. like you know, I think that like that was a peak Murphy, you know. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, like between that and Beverly Hills Cop, you know, that's peak Murphy. Oh, of course, I haven't seen those. Yeah, this is Eddie Murphy in this one. Yeah. I think James L. Jones is in it again too, which is great. Dude, at live action James L. Jones at this age, this is this is a treasure. This is a treat. I don't think I've actually seen. Uh, I don't think I can remember anything I've seen live action. Live. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I think. I think that might be it for me. He was in a uh, Doctor Strange Love. That's what I've seen him in. Ah. And apparently he was in Click. That's the one where, like, the TV remote is evil or something? It's, it's not evil. You know, Adam Sandler, it's, it? it's, it's a universal remote. I mean, like, you know. Ah. He, like, pauses, like, like rewind. Ah. That's actually pretty cool. I'm sure it's an amazing movie. Yeah. In terms of Sandler, it's decent. Oh, is it? Yeah. I liked it. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. I've definitely like, seen the first 10 minutes before. Yeah. Me, me saying I liked a film is, like, no, like, valid, you know, praise. Because, I mean, like, I just like pretty much every film I like, so. <laughs> you say you, you liked it. It could be anywhere from a 2 out of 10. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, like, if I like it, it's like a 4 to a 7. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into our highlights of the week. Uh, what have you been watching, Mr. Lamb? Um, I binged a bit of, uh, Succession, uh, HBO oh, yeah. TV show. Um, it's got two seasons at the moment, but I think a third season is coming. Uh, it's just, um, about this, uh, really rich family, this dad is like this massive media mogul. Uh, apparently he's based on, um, apparently the family in him is based on, uh, Murdoch. Yeah, the Murdochs and Rupert mm-hmm. Mania, Murdoch. Um, makes sense, makes sense. And, um, um, yeah, it's just about who, it's just about their egos and about who will succeed. The father, and it's very businessy. There's a lot of stuff Is it about, you know, there's all these acquisitions and taking over these other companies and, Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
cool. I feel like this would be up my alley. I've heard good things about it. People seem to dig it a lot. Yeah, the characters are characters really good. Um, the directing and everything. Uh, it kind of this and Mr. Robot kind of feel filmy to me. Like um, mm-hmm. Adam McKay directed the first episode. I think he directed like the big oh really short and device and all that uh, kind of similar stuff and the. The way the camera's used in the show, like the the, the zooms, which are pretty funny sometimes, just uh, and the way it like really moves really quickly. Um, it's kind of like I feel like there's a consistent director behind it, even though it isn't. Um, mm-hmm. same same with Mr. Robot, uh, how it's how it's got its kind of unique style and cinematography and everything, kind of like auteur television shows. Mr. Rebel was chucked on stands, so I'm keen to watch that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it feels like, dude, it feels, what's his name? Sam Sam Esmail? Esmail? Yeah. It, it feels like his hands are all, all over that show every second of it, which is cool. Yeah, for sure. Would you say then, would you say Succession generally gives off the vibe of an Adam McKay movie? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, that's, a, that's a good. That's a good endorsement, in my opinion. Very, very sick. How about you, Jaden? Um, yeah, the most exciting thing of my week is also television. Um, I've been watching The Boys. I binged season one, hey. and I'm um, two episodes into season two. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, I love it. Um, it's great soundtrack. Like between this and Mindhunter, I think like you know best TV soundtracks. Um, and like a. It surprised it, it, it like every time I see the Amazon logo at the start, I, it, it always surprised me that they bankrolled it because you know it's it's got like you know anti corporation themes or whatever, and like you know in terms of like despotic corporations, Amazon's like third. So like I'm you know, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh it's great. I love it. I think the comedy's great. The uh the action's cool. I mean uh you know and it's refreshing. You know, I don't know. I really like it. Yeah, I, I, I like it all too. Dude, you better not beat me on season two, man. I'd be really disappointed. Where are you up to now? You probably are, though. I've got two episodes left. Oh, yeah. I'm going to bang it all out tonight then. <laughs> oh, shit, yeah. Oh, you, you probably still will beat me, though, honestly. Oh, well. Yeah. I watched Escape from Alcatraz, the film. Have you both seen it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I thought it was good. You know, I liked it. I think the first half's a lot better than the second half. Um, unfortunately, in my opinion, the actual escape from Alcatraz is pretty underwhelming and, and like, it's like, whatever. I feel like I'm just watching the actors kind of just stumble around outside in the dark for a while and then they just get out. So, cool. But the actual introduction and everything, the way they establish Alcatraz as a setting and there's some really cool characters in there, I thought the, uh, the dialogue's pretty solid all around. Yeah. No, I, I generally, I did like it. I did like it generally. I wish the, the title of the film, kind of, you know, the actual event of that lived up a little. It was a bit stronger. How did you feel about it when you watched it? How long ago did you watch it, Jaden? I don't know. Uh, it was ages ago. It was on TV. Oh, okay. But, um, oh, okay. yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. So four to seven, somewhere in there. Yeah. <laughs> now, as always, now we hand the show over to you with our question of the show. I said our shitload in that, didn't I? 
uh, last week we asked you how you feel about adaptations of novels into television or film. And yeah, if you prefer creative liberties taken or not, how much it bothers you, etc. Luke says, I suppose it depends on the intention. If you want to use a novel as the base for a film or television, uh, slash television to expand upon the story, then it must be consistent with the previously detailed quote-unquote vibe of the series. However, there can still be artistic liberties taken so long as they don't undermine the original values. For example, if someone wanted to make a Harry Potter spin-off, which used the names of the characters, locations, spells, but was completely off-book, something like, instead of uh, a Quidditch match, they were BMX racing, <laughs> or they had a fist fight with the villain instead of using spells or something of the sort, then the film or television uh, is just trying to gain attention by piggybacking off of the success of the novel. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So it bothers Luke if they just want to take the name, take the, the base level of the name of the of the story and just completely do something way off with it, like totally off in BMX racing at Harry Potter. Yeah, that is definitely off. So I, I would take from that then that you don't really mind when there are changes to the story and, and characters and things if the core of what that thing is is still intact. So great, Luke, thank you. The pub grub pig wrote in and said, I was furious when I watched the Witcher Netflix series, elves not as described, Yen looking ridiculous, and Triss looking like something else. As a wise man once said to me, treat it as its own and appreciate it. If you want to follow the source material, do it, but make sure it's it or marketed it differently. This Lord of the Rings Amazon series might be our greatest example yet. I keep forgetting that show's happening. But I hope it's good. It's going to have apparently like a stupid budget, which is awesome. So, oh, good to know our Amazon Prime <laughs> subscriptions are going to something cool. <laughs> How do we feel about this? This is kind of a harder one to tackle as opposed to just, oh, my answer's Star Wars or some shit, you know? I generally don't, don't mind when creative liberties are taken as long as the result is still feels interesting and good. I'm, I'm happy to kind of judge things independently, I suppose. I don't think, oh, that person didn't wasn't described as that in the book, so therefore I hate it. Like, I'm not really that kind of person, but I know a lot of people feel that way. Uh, how do you guys feel about it? That's like a solid starting point, I guess. Um, I think you have to take it by case by case. I mean, uh, I don't see if there's, there's a way of not taking it case by case because, I mean, like... Mm. You know, it, it really is dependent on the source material and then the director's treatment of it. I think if I think to the, if you're adapting a beloved novel, you, you owe it to you owe it to the fans and to the original writers to to keep it, the core intact. I think um, what always comes to mind is like the way that Garland just treated Annihilation and that he read it, left it for ten years, and when he went when when it was writing the screenplay. He based, you know, he bases his, his screenplay off what he remembered, not off the book. I think that's that's a good approach. But um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's um, because like what also comes to mind is this is an adapting a, a novel, but it's just uh, you know doing a remake. Is that um, uh, I think it was Dario Argento. He said in 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 regards to the remake of Suspiria. He said, you know, if, if you're gonna, if you're gonna pretty much rewrite the entire film and, you know, 
not have it, you know, in nearly any way resemble the original, why call us this video? You know, just say it's based off this, but then change up the name. And I think that's also a decent approach that you can take. Yeah, totally. How about your Fitzy? What, uh, your your Fitzy? What, how about your insight, Fitzy? Is the sentence I was trying to say? Yeah, I, I knew I agree. With what you guys said, uh, I think the shine is like uh, a lot better because the film's a lot better because of what Stanley took from the book and left out. Like he, he kept the same kind of psychological horror uh, from the book and expanded it in the film, I thought. And, uh, I guess Fight Club did the same thing, so if the, if the yeah, if the same, oh, yeah. same tone or feeling kind of is there, then it can be as good or better. I think Chuck Palahniuk, the, uh, the writer of Fight Club, said that the film kind of took the, uh, the, like, sharp tone of the book and made it better just because of, like, the nature of film to be, like, quick and, you know, explosive. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it just depends, you know. But some, something like Little Women, which Greta Gerwig did, I don't think, you know, there's much you can change there. But, uh, yeah, it depends, I guess, but Take. Was her film really a, a, a one-to-one adaptation for the most part? Yeah, I think so. Um, okay. I think Dune is going to be, I think Villeneuve said Dune is going to be as, as uh, well, which is which is funny because Yudorowsky's vision of Dune was so, like, him and so different. But, uh, yeah. Yeah? What's your opinion? I said my opinion, didn't I? Did you? Yeah. No, I must have blended in with the with the audience submissions. Oh yeah, that's all right. That's okay. Well, that's it for this week's episode. That's it's a bit sad, isn't it? We're going to move on now. All good things must come to an end, and all that. What are we watching next week, Fitzy? Well, Jaden, Zach are watching uh, the Clone Star Wars: The Clone Wars season seven, the last four episodes. Some kind of arc or something. Uh, I won't be there next, next episode. So, Thank Christ. Yeah. <laughs> we are. It's going to be sad. We're losing. Well, you've, you haven't not been on in a single episode of this show, Fitzy, so that's. I don't understand how we'll cope, honestly. It's like we've been walking this entire time with three legs and we're losing one. Mm. I'm scared of next week's episode. I don't think I can carry a conversation with just, you know, I don't, I, like, I'm going to struggle with it back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll be, we'll have fun either way. Yeah, I will. That's what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. So, yeah, we are watching Clone Wars Season 7. We're, we're reviewing the entire season, to be clear. But, of course, Fizzy's not wrong in highlighting that the last four episodes are really the meat of that season. So, but yeah, regardless, we're reviewing the whole entirety of the final season of the Clone Wars. You can find it on Disney Plus if you haven't seen it already. Unfortunately, well, uh, yeah, we all appreciate every single one of you for tuning in. Thanks so much. Cheers, Tony. Shout out. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Will. Thanks, 
Th- thanks, Paul. Maybe? I think so. <laughs> anyway, we all thank you in various ways and we'll see you all next week. Have a good one and goodbye.